0: from tyranny for liberty, and they so we would be America,
1: land of the free. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Growing Patriots Podcast. I am your host, Amelia Hamilton, author and history nerd. Can you believe this is already the tenth episode? It's also going to be one of my very favorites. I love this topic. To tell you all about it, let's meet Mazarine. My name is Mazarine. I am seven and I'm from Texas. This week we're going to learn about colonial clothing. Yes, we're going to learn all about what people wore in colonial times. What are your questions, Mazarine? What were the clothes made of? What did the
0: kids wear? How long did it take to get dressed? Where did the clothes come from? Who made them? What colors were they? Were there any sequins or glitter? Did their
1: clothes get dirty when they worked? Did they wear hats? How old were they when they started making clothes? I love those questions, especially the one about sequins and glitter. We'll find out the answers in just a minute. other th- people thought about colonial clothes? Do you think people from England thought that we looked fancy in America? Or do you think they thought that we dressed pretty plain? Let's hear from someone named Reverend Boucher. He wrote a letter home to England describing what people looked like. Let's hear what he had to say.
0: Hi, my name is Josh and I am from Texas. In the late 1720s, the Reverend Jonathan Butcher described Virginians by saying Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed in one of these. I assure you, Miss James, the common planters' daughters here go every day in finer cloths than I have ever seen content you for a summer Sunday. You thought, homely creatures as you are, my satin waistcoat was a fine best. Lord, help you. I'm nothing amongst the lace and laced fellows that are there. Nay. So much does their taste run after dress that they tell me I may see in Virginia more brilliant assemblies than I ever could in the north of England, and except royal ones, perhaps, in any part of it.
1: Wow. So he was saying that in the American colonies, they dressed fancier just for every day, that people at home where he was from in the north of England dressed on a fancy Sunday. So, even though American might have been a colony in the 1720s when he wrote that letter, they still cared about fashion. Okay, are you ready for the answers to Mazarin's questions? We have got a great guest this week. It's Neil Hurst, and he is the Associate Curator of Costumes and Textiles with the Colonial Williamsburg Foundation. That means he is an expert on colonial clothes, and we are so lucky to have him today. Not only is he an expert in colonial clothes because he studied them, but he even dresses in colonial clothes every day just to go to work. Let's jump in and get those answers from the expert.
2: So her first question was what were clothes made of in the colonial era?
0: That's a great question. Um, Clothes in in the colonial era during the the 18th century were made out of a variety of of different things. Um, It's all natural fibers, so linen, of course, which is coming from flax, the plant. Uh, Cotton, wool uh, from the back of sheep. Um, Silk, um, you do see quite a bit of hemp being used in clothing in uh, for a little bit more work day clothing, you find quite a bit of leather being used uh, as well.
2: Ooh, okay. Um, and what did kids wear?
0: Well, kids wear um, a, a lot of different things. But generally um, speaking, when, when they're first born, children um, are, are wearing sort of um, the same thing. And so both boys and girls would, would have been dressed in petticoats or skirts. Um, and this... Um, is, is really done for, for ease of the parents. Um, you know, for changing all those diapers and, uh, and dirty clouts, um, sure. it's, it's a lot easier to change them uh, underneath a, uh, a loose petticoat than, let's say, for the boys, a pair of breeches. But both boys and girls will wear um, their petticoats, and of course, they'll also wear stays. Uh, which is a, a boned bodice um, that both boys and girls will wear about the time they're they're starting to walk to help train them with their posture. Um, now, girls will continue wearing their stays and their petticoats for for the rest of their lives, while um, young boys generally leave off their their petticoats and stays about the time they're fully potty trained. So, you know, let's say three or four. Um, so i leave them off, and then they will go into sort of um, smaller versions uh, or almost miniature versions of um, dad's breeches, waistcoat, and coat.
2: Okay, interesting. Um, how long would it take someone to get dressed?
0: Um, getting dressed, let's say, in the morning um, really wouldn't take somebody much longer than it does actually today in the 21st century. Now, there's some different layers, but um, myself, after uh, getting dressed in 18th century clothing for almost seven years, uh, I was pretty quick at it. But, um, you know, maybe just a few minutes longer than than the average person does today in the 21st century. For the men, there's quite a few more buttons you have to deal with. Uh, And for the ladies, you know situating the stays and getting them tied on uh and then pinning the gown down the center front you know it might take a little bit longer but you know when you do something like this every single day um, you get pretty quick at it
2: i always thought it would be a lot longer that's an interesting so, <laughs> something new for me to learn too <laughs> so where would people get their clothes um and you know who would make them
0: the folks who are making clothing in the period um, um, are a couple couple different places. Uh, generally for for uh, men and boys, they're generally seeing what's known as a tailor. Uh, and the tailor is going to be making clothing uh, by by measuring the body. And so the tailor will take a, a piece of paper and, and take measurements off the body. Uh, and then he will make a flat pattern. Um, which is laid out or drawn directly onto the fabric that the customers then provided. The tailor then cuts it out, and then he sews it together. But the, the big thing here to keep in mind is that the tailor um, is going to start from three-dimensional form, uh, the human body, uh, and then go flat And then bring it back up into three dimension. This is mostly done for men's clothing, and few women's garments are done this way. But uh, the vast majority of women's clothing is made by another trade called the mantua maker. And the mantua maker is your dressmaker or gown maker. And she is typically working by taking lengths of of fabric and placing it directly on the woman's body, where it's sort of pleated, pinned, tucked, taken off, and then sewn together. Um, So a very sort of different way uh, of making clothing. Uh, But this is aided by the fact that that women wear stays. And the stays are sort of putting the lady's body in its most perfect form, um, that sort of conical shape that's very desirable um, uh, during the 18th century. So she can work directly off of that. It's a little hard to do that for men who aren't wearing the sort of smoothed out garment um, that that the ladies are wearing. So that sort of covers both of your clothing. But um, the accessories, these sort of things that you'll add to your clothing, you know, ribbons and bows and caps and maybe you might even buy your shirts um, and shoe buckles and knee buckles and necklaces uh, would all have been from the trade of the milliner. And so the milliner's trade will be tending to all these sort of accessories um, to go with your, with your clothes. The milliner, however, is, is unique that many of the things could probably be ready made versus the tailor and the mantua maker, those pieces would have been custom made for the individual. And this seems to be true for, you know, from the very, very, very high class individuals um, all the way down to sort of the more common sorts.
2: Okay, and that actually kind of goes into another one of her questions, which was about uh, the different kind of hats that people would wear.
0: Um, and that's great. The, the milliner would have provided um, many of the different t- styles of hats that folks were wearing. But for the men, it's unfortunately kind of boring. Um, so, so for the men, what they're wearing is a, 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 what they call a cocked hat. And that's because the sides are cocked up onto the crown of the hat. Um, and it's typically made out of beaver fur, and they're almost always black. Uh, and this is just sort of the uh, tradition for men at this point in time. These sort of sides that are cocked up really don't serve a purpose at all. It's just mere fashion that they're uh, held up onto the crown of the hat like that. Um, for the ladies, however, um, there's a huge variety in styles of hats that women are wearing. Um, they generally start over a base of straw, and the straw is plated or braided and then stitched together. And then uh, what they do is they oftentimes will cover it in silk, um, sometimes to match their gown, sometimes not. Um, but another another nice way to decorate it, sometimes on top of the silk you'll find uh, ribbons on top of it. Uh, you might find artificial flowers, paper flowers uh, put, on, put on it as well. Sometimes the edge is bound in lace. Um, the ladies really get a, a, a much much larger variety of, of of headwear than the men do, um, And if you don't want to wear a straw hat, you do have other forms of bonnets that are a little bit more protective against the sun. You know, particularly if somebody's let's say working out in the field, uh, they might choose a bonnet over over wearing one of these straw hats that the ladies are favoring uh, more for fashion than practicality.
2: Okay, and um, would kids work in any of these? And any of these trades, you know, work in a tailor shop or at a millinery?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, trades, children begin working in trades um, fairly young as, you know, when we compare to to working today. Um, You know, many individuals are starting um, in their lower teens, uh, could even be uh, a little younger than that. Um, and they, they tend to work until they reach their majority in their apprenticeship. And the majority is defined as uh, the age of 21. Um, and so at that point, you would, uh, once you've completed your apprenticeship, you could then uh, either start your own business um, or you continue working for, for the individual you trained under. Um, but you're looking at about a seven-year time period or so, sometimes more, sometimes less. Uh, for that individual to become a fully trained, let's say tailor or a maker, um, but you, you certainly are going to find probably quite a few children um, or young teens working in these trades, um, getting themselves prepared for business and, and to work in the trade uh, once they once they finish their apprenticeship.
2: Her next question um, was, "What kind of colors were common?"
0: Colors, <laughs> um, colors have a. They range just like today in the 21st century, but um, we're, we're a little limited in terms of what colors we can achieve easily, mm-hmm. and they might not be as necessarily as bright and as vibrant as um, uh, as what we find on our modern clothing. So during the 18th century, we, we're limited to what um, what is naturally produced in terms of dye stuffs. Um, so for example, indigo will get us some very brilliant blues. Um, They're using fustic, uh, which is another plant, to uh, produce yellows. Um, And so there's a a huge range of of color that uh, is is available. Matter is another one. Matter is actually a a plant root. Um, And you also have cochineal, which is an interesting dye stuff coming from from a beetle, Uh, and it gets you this very bright scarlet red, this sort of blue red. Uh, and so these colors can be changed and mixed with, you know, lots of chemistry is involved here. Um, but uh, there are some colors that uh, just aren't fashionable. You know, things like uh, orange, for example. We don't see uh, a terrible amount of orange being worn in, in the entirety of the 18th century. A uh, few, few cases here and there, but it just doesn't seem to be very popular. Uh, and, and other colors um, are just difficult to, uh, to get. Uh, very bright colors, up, such such as green. And even though we are surrounded and surrounded by lots of different green uh, colors, um, it's all generally living. It's chlorophyll, um, and so once it dies, it turns that brown color. And so what they're having to do in the 18th century is applying sort of um, a yellow ground, then painting over it with blue. Um, so you don't really get these really bright, vibrant greens, or kind of like a muddy green color. Um, So the colors can be a little difficult, uh, but they are all natural. Uh, There's no synthetic dyes um, like we have today in the 21st century to get some of these really, really beautiful colors that we have.
2: Interesting. Okay, her next question was my personal favorite. (laughs) Did, in the 18th century, were there sequins or glitter? (laughs)
0: <laughs> sequins
2: <laughs> are how uh, did they get sparkles
0: <laughs> sparkles uh, in fact there were uh, there is a lot of sequins and glitter and bright shiny colors that, uh, that were available to, to both men and women um, in the 18th century um, we have in our collection here at Colina Williamsburg uh, many garments that contain sequins um, sometimes they are gold uh, other times, they are um, silver. Um, we also have many garments in our collection here, too, that um, are woven with gold and silver threads in them. Uh, and so those are really, really high-end, uh, expensive fabrics that would have been used primarily for very formal occasions. And they use these these types of things, um, these types of fabrics and these sequins and these sort of sparkly um uh, garments um, for formal occasions because it was generally only lit by candlelight, and so the candlelight would pick up on those sequins and those metallics, and it would really make them sparkle at at, at night. Um, so, absolutely, there are there is quite a bit of, of sparkle and um, uh, available for for the 18th century man and woman.
2: Good. I would hate to think of them doing without doing without <laughs> glitter. <laughs> Um, okay, and her final question was, um, what happened when clothes got dirty when you were working?
0: Sure, you know, the, the 18th century uh, had a, a, a variety of, of methods of laundering or, or doing laundry. It might be a little different than uh, our moms and dads when they, when they laundered our clothes today with our, with our washing machines, but um, the first layer of clothing that we generally put on in the morning in the 18th century for, for boys is a shirt. Uh, and it covers you from your neck all the way down to below your knee. Uh, and for, for girls, it's, it tends to be a shift. And the shift is the same thing, covering you from sort of your neck or your shoulders down to below, to below your knee. And so this garment is really important because it provides protection uh, from your body, from sweat and oil and grease and all those nice things our body produces and helps keep keeps uh, helps keep our upper body upper garments clean, uh, and so those types of things, um, those shirts and shifts and let's say your stockings, those can be easily soaked up and laundered at home. And so they'll wash them with hot water and soap and boil them uh, to make them uh, nice and clean. Then what they'll do is they'll they tend to, to lay them out and dry and bleach them um, if necessary by using the sun. Um, but for the other garments, let's say your gown or a man's suit or maybe even a pair of breeches, uh, that might be a little bit more difficult to launder. Um, you could take them to back to dry cleaner or a dry scourer in, in the 18th century. and they would practice those uh, techniques by not using those sort of hot soapy water. Uh, but using things like alcohol and Fuller's earth and, and various other chemicals to actually remove stains. Uh, but your your underclothes really do a very good job of providing that barrier to to keep the upper clothes clean. You know, uh, and there's also a lot of preventative maintenance too. You'll find a lot of uh, references for things like clothing brushes um, in the household to brush out dust and dirt uh, from the exterior, so the exterior is not getting as dirty. Uh, perhaps as, as our clothing gets today. But most of our clothing directly touches our skin, uh, and so that's why it, it, it tends to get dirtier much more quicker.
2: Okay, um, well that was all of her questions. Is there anything else that you would like to add that's particularly interesting <laughs> or that you think kids would love to know about?
0: Um, you know, we have, you know, a great uh, museum here at Colonial Williamsburg, um, and I know folks are, um, in particular, always interested in clothing. Um, it's one of those few things that, um, you know, we can very, very easily easily relate to, you know, as we still tend to wear clothing today in the 21st century. <laughs> um, and so uh, I always encourage folks to, to come visit us. Uh, we'll be opening a brand-new costume gallery in about two years um, and so, uh, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me, and uh, I'd be happy to answer them for you.
2: Okay, great. Yeah, I went to Colonial Williamsburg all the time growing up, and I always say that that's that's how I became who I am today. That's how I got into <laughs> all this. So, um, well, Neil, thank you so much. Um, but I really appreciate you taking the time and helping guide kids through 18th century clothing.
0: Sure. Yeah. Anytime you need anything, let me know.
2: Okay. Thanks so much. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Mazarin.
0: You're welcome.
1: Maybe I just really like clothes, but I thought this was one of the most fun episodes ever. Let's talk a little bit more about what we learned. Colonial clothes had to be made out of natural things. So they were made out of things like linen, cotton, wool, silk, hemp, or leather. Babies all wore petticoats when they were born because it was kind of easier to change diapers and things. And they also all wore stays, which were like boned bodices, and that helped them with posture. Girls had to keep on wearing those petticoats and stays forever while boys got to move on to breeches, which were like pants, and waistcoats, which were like vests, and coats when they were potty trained. I thought that getting dressed would have taken forever in the colonial times, but Neil said it really just takes a few minutes longer. There were more buttons and things to tie, and there were pins, but really you get used to it, and it doesn't take a whole lot longer to get dressed than it would today. Now, where do you get those clothes? Men and boys got them from a tailor who would measure a man or a boy and make a pattern out of paper and then cut the cloth and make the clothes. Women went to a mantua maker and that was a little bit different. They would pin the fabric right onto the woman's body and make a pattern from there. But then for the extra things like ribbons and buckles, you would get those from the milliner and those things were already made. The milliner would also provide the hats. Men only really had one style to pick from. They were black beaver fur, and women had lots of choices. They were made out of straw and then decorated. They could be covered in silk and then ribbons, flowers, lace, all kinds of things. And children could work in those shops. They usually began working early, like in their early teens, and worked until they were about 21. And then they could go on to own their own store or might keep working for the same person that they had worked for since they were a teenager. Just like today, people liked all different kinds of colors, but they had more limitations on what they could make, and they weren't as bright as today, because they could only get colors that they could find in nature. But of course, they could mix those colors together to get lots of different shades. And yes, there were sequins, so colonial people weren't lacking sparkle. And they could even have gold and silver thread woven right into the cloth. Can you imagine how pretty that would be catching the candlelight? Of course, it wasn't all pretty clothes, though. Things still got dirty, and they still had to get their laundry done. Clothes didn't get as dirty from the inside because people wore shirts or shifts underneath, and those were really easy to wash. You could just boil them with hot water and soap. But for gowns and suits, you had to take them to somebody who really knew how to clean them specially, kind of like how special things are maybe taken to the dry cleaner today. Clothes were a lot harder to come by, so you really had to take care of them. So what do you think? What kind of colors and patterns would you have wanted in the 18th century? If you were decorating a lady's hat, what do you think you would put on it? I want to hear all about it. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. My name is at Growing Patriots on all three of those. You can also find me online at growingpatriots.com. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, give the podcast five stars and leave a review and tell a couple of friends about it. That's all for this week and I can't wait to see you next time.
2: America, land of the free.